Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. For this episode of 1514, we're going to go back in time to the first ever Biblical Counseling Global Summit that was hosted in 2016. We were planning to host the second Biblical Counseling Global Summit in 2020 in the Dominican Republic, but like most plans in 2020, that conference had to be canceled. We haven't yet rescheduled that conference because we're waiting for all international borders to open up after the global pandemic, because we truly want to invite and welcome biblical counselors from all across the world together to celebrate and build unity in the biblical counseling movement. Today, you're going to get to hear from Dr. David Pallison in a message that he gave at that global summit on Christ-centered counsel and how it redeems and reconciles relationships. I'm sure you will be blessed and encouraged by what you hear. We have video of that entire conference available on our Vimeo channel for purchase on demand. I encourage you to go there and buy or rent access to all of those lectures. There will be a wonderful time for you to hear what God was doing around the world in biblical counseling and really be encouraged and inspired by some of the key central tenets of what biblical counseling is. Thanks again for listening to 1514. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, you have given us the best. You've given us your only son, the word of God incarnate. And I pray, Lord, that my words will be faithful to your word incarnate, faithful to your word written, that we would live more faithfully in the pattern and unto the glory in the likeness of Jesus himself. Grant us your spirit. Grant us your wisdom. Thank you that you do not reproach us for our need. You love us at the point of our need and we praise and thank you for your goodness to us in the name of christ amen jesus christ redeems and restores relationships that's perhaps the most elemental truth of our gospel and there's a thousand ways that that comes to pass and we've been singing about that We all know that. We take that to heart. It's at the center of our faith. I am not going to speak this morning about those high holy truths that we have been singing, that we believe when we profess our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about how this operates at street level, how it operates in your life, how the way it operates in your life becomes the springboard for everything you do that is of any use and good any kindness, any aid, any encouragement, any assistance in the lives of other people, how it operates street level in your life and how it then becomes the way ministry for others operates, how your life becomes fruitful. What is this inner logic of counseling wisdom? What is the inner logic of all ministry? And I want you to first listen to it live. Listen to it from the mouth of God himself. Listen to it as it, as it happens. Not abstracted into a general principle, not put into a, a topic, but hear it live. A couple of examples. For example, 2 Corinthians 1.4. This God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ 
comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are being comforted by God. So hear what that's saying here. If you are honestly facing your troubles, your heartaches, your sorrows, your difficulties, the troubles that are in your life, and if you are finding the mercies of the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he comforts you, strengthens you, protects you, encourages you, leads you, offers you refuge, then you have mercies and comforts to be able to give away to another person, another person who is facing any trial, any difficulty, not the same one you have, because no two of us in this room are alike. And yet this underlying pattern is similar in all of us. One of, the, one of my favorite passages for capturing this dynamic is the very last line of the Gospel of John, where it says that the whole earth could not contain the books that would be written of what Jesus did, does, will do. And, the, and, and you notice there that the reason that's so is because every book is different. The book of your life is different from the book of my life and the book of the life of the person sitting next to you. And yet, they all tell variations on the same story. It is the story of what Jesus does. It, um... So then, if you honestly face troubles, if you are a recipient of the mercies of God, then you have mercies to communicate to someone else. And so, when I am the one suffering, you will speak to my heart from your heart. You will have something to say to me. You will connect to me, connect with me. The, uh, I will know that you get me, you understand me, you care for me. And you aren't giving me theory, but you're giving me reality. You, you won't be glib. You won't offer a pat answer and a quick fix. You won't say, well, just blank. You know, just believe this truth. Just do this spiritual discipline. Just uh, get involved in this activity. And everything will be just fine because there are no just blank in the Christian life. It's a, the problem of our afflictions is too hard to have a pat answer, right? It's life is too hard for those simplistic answers. But when the answers run deep, when you are a first-person participant, it works. Here's a second example. Listen live. Hebrews chapter 5. It speaks here. It's an interesting passage. It's speaking of the human high priest as a picture of the high priest himself, Jesus. It's one of those from the lesser to the greater arguments. It's telling you, it's describing a person just like you, who actually gives you an insight into what Jesus himself is like. It, uh, and so it says that the, that the high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice 
for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So what's the principle going on here? If you know your own weakness, sinfulness, vulnerability, the fragile, so that, 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 that moral line that just is always, you're just right on the edge of the cliff, and then you pull back and you walk in the light, but there's a ditch on the side of the road. And if you're aware of that, if you're living, facing that, living within that reality, and if Jesus Christ is showing you active mercies, you are finding that he is giving you grace in your time of need, then you will deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. The ignorant are the people that don't get it. They're confused. They are disoriented. They, they don't see much. They're kind of stumbling blindly through life. And the wayward are those going astray. You will, isn't it an amazing thing? You will deal gently. So when I am the one straying, you will again speak from your heart to my heart, and I will know and understand that you get me. You know the struggle. You know what it is like to be living in a world where you only see a few shards of light, and you need that light, but darkness is all around. And uh, you won't be arrogant. You won't be brash and superior. You won't, you'll be confident of what's true, but you won't be overconfident. You won't be, in a certain sense, callous and self-righteous about these things that cut to the heart, because the waywardness and sinfulness with which any one of us deals are way too powerful. We need a savior. And your own experience opens the door to your savior, that then is this basis by which I, as the struggler, am able to be helped by you, as the struggler, who is finding something that I need. Listen to one more. One more word, one more live commentary. This one actually cuts deeper, runs wider. It's the passage we know from the beginning of Matthew 5 as the Beatitudes. If you are poor in spirit, then you are blessed because the kingdom of heaven is yours. To be poor in spirit is to know to the bottom of who you are that you need help from outside yourself. You can't trust your resume, your accomplishments, your abilities, your gifts, your money, your achievements. You need someone immediately to help you and to rescue you. If you are someone in mourning, because this world has so many heartaches, this world goes so wrong, but you're mourning over it, not throwing rocks at it as if you were self-righteous and all the evils were over there. If you're mourning how much this world goes wrong, how much people go wrong, how much you go wrong, then you are blessed because you shall be comforted. And if you are meek, if you are under the authority of someone else, if you know you need someone else to be telling you, teaching you, imparting to you how to think and how to feel and how to react and how to understand things and how to be oriented, that you are under the mind and heart and will of another, then you are blessed because you shall inherit the earth. And if you are someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, that in a world gone wrong, as a person who tends to go wrong, you want 
the world to be made right. You want life to triumph, not death. And you want the light to triumph and not the darkness. You want what is right to triumph and not what's wrong. If you hunger and thirst, you are blessed because you will be satisfied. And those first four Beatitudes, what they have in common is they express a fundamental weakness, an essential vulnerability, an essential dependency on help from outside yourself. They, you might say that they capture life in the minor key, life with a note of sorrow and need and distress as part of it. And it's a promise that you are blessed if that is where your life anchors. And then there's a movement in the Beatitudes. And the second four Beatitudes express the strength and that confidence and the courage and the clarity that come from that. And so in the second four Beatitudes, you are blessed if you are merciful to others because you will receive mercy. And you are blessed if you are pure in heart because you will see God. And you are blessed if you are a peacemaker because you will be called a child of God, sons of God. And you are blessed when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, because as they began, the Beatitudes began, the kingdom of heaven is yours. And what you see in the second four Beatitudes is life in the major key, a kind of strength and purposefulness. It is the ability, having received in your own need, you're now able to go out and reconcile and serve the needs of others because they need, others need mercy. And you have become merciful. And others need people who will approach them with a pure heart and not double motives, not giving to get. And the, the, all the varieties of ways that people use and misuse and abuse and mistreat and manipulate other people. And other people need peacemakers because it's a world at war and there's much trouble. And other people need to see and know that there's courage and endurance and the ability to actually not only hold fast, but actually grow deeper in faith through the, sing, through the sufferings that one experiences in trying to serve as light within a world that is going darkness. There's this fundamental flow from need to strength, from weakness to resolve, from uh, vulnerability to purposefulness. And that dynamic is the core dynamic that operates within all ministry. You know, you might put it this way. You need something. God gives what you need. You have something to give away to others in need. That living dynamism is at the absolute heart of all ministry. And in a very particular way, in counseling ministry, in the conversational get, get to know you, get alongside you, feel the weight of your life, know where you are struggling it's that dynamic that keeps you from the pat answers. It's that dynamic that keeps you from the self-righteous overconfidence. It actually makes you one with others in their struggle. How does this show up? How does this show up? There are basically three ministries that every one of us has. You have three core ministries, no matter what the, well, take a thousand variants. Every Christian has three basic ministries. To pray thoughtfully with a true sense of need, your own and others. Right? To worship honestly, gratefully, because of who God is that touches that. So prayer, 
worship, gratitude, major key, minor key, the whole relationship with God. We have that fundamental ministry with God to each other. Second, we are all called to give practically. Practical help, practical aid, the things, you know, somebody needs help moving, if their house burns down, if their kid is sick, if they've been bereaved, people need practical help. And then thirdly, basic ministry for every single Christian to speak wisely, to speak words that give life, to speak words that, in in the way Ephesians 4.29 puts it, that are constructive, that are timely, that give grace to those who hear every single word, giving grace to those who hear. And the opposite is, you know, it's a tough word at the beginning of Ephesians 4.29 to translate. They'll often translate no unwholesome words or no rotten words. What it basically means is nothing out of your mouth would be either empty, like empty calories, or actually destructive, misleading, harmful, wrong. Part of the dark side and not the life, part of the death side, not the life-giving side. And we have this threefold call, every one of us. Now, every Christian knows the first two, that we are people, you know, if you're a Christian, of course you pray. And of course you're called to help when the needs are practical. But that third one, the call to speak wisely, is it is just as intrinsic. And it's much more up for grabs. It's much more contested. It, uh, in fact, that's why we are here. That's why the Biblical Counseling Coalition exists and the member ministries within that Biblical Counseling Coalition. It's why we're working, because the idea that we as Christians would have a unique wisdom to bring into the, into the lives of others, that's where it's one of the battle lines. Not every Christian believes that. It's not often modeled and taught that we ought to be truly wise in the ways that we interact. That this same dynamic of what God is giving you, you're able to give others. What you are receiving, you're able to give away. That that dynamic operates in all three of these ministries. And that dynamic is intended to operate not only in our prayer life, the way we relate to God, and not only in the practical helps, towards others in need, but it's meant to come out in our conversations that we talk about things that actually matter. Now, it's interesting. Get this. The Lord himself has these three ministries. You think about that. It makes sense. He's God in the flesh. He's a man. And when you look at the life of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, you see these three ministries are or what is going on. Jesus is a man who is himself praying out of a sense of his own need. He is praying and interceding for the needs of others around him. Jesus Christ is doing practical good works, doing good to people who suffer. He is meeting human need. He gets his hands dirty. He rolls up his sleeves. And Jesus Christ, there is no doubt about it, he speaks personally, candidly, wisely. It's never boilerplate. It's never same old, same old. He never says the same thing twice. Even when he uses the exact same words, like there are two women, one in Luke 7 and one in Luke 8, to whom he says, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. The first woman was a notorious sinner who had been crushed by the weight of her sins and had sought mercy and was filled with gratitude. And he said to her, go in peace. 
your faith has made you well. And the second woman was a great sufferer. She'd endured years of bleeding, spent all her money trying to get well, and it didn't help. A familiar tale in the 21st century medical world, by the way. And, um, and she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And he said to her, You're, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. So even the very same words land in a different way. Or the very same problem, the very same input to Jesus, he responds to it in a different way. So both Mary and Martha, at the death of their brother Lazarus, say to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. To Martha, Jesus gives her a theological talk and speaks about who he is, the resurrection and the life. And he gives courage to his disciples who are about to go over the hill to what they think is going to be imminent death for all of them. When Mary says those exact same words, a few minutes later, Jesus breaks into tears. Same, just it, it's this adaptability, this flexibility, this tailoring, wise words that the Lord uh, himself does. Now, he does these things all through the Gospels, and guess what? He is doing them now for you in the particularities of your afflictions, your struggles with sin. Your, that is the abiding way that he is connecting. So you might say that the Lord is continually, is this, this Lord who redeems and reconciles relationships, first with himself and then out into the world. He is continually knitting the bonds of relationship with you by meeting you afresh where your current struggle is. Where is the struggle of today? It's going to be one of two things or the combination of both. Our struggle is with sin and it is with suffering. It is with affliction and heartache and it is with defection and the way we drift and forget and go snow blind. That's the perennial human struggle. Every single person who ever seeks help in counseling help from anyone on the planet is actually struggling with some variant on sin and suffering, right? Now, one of this is, you can see why one of the unique reasons that you as Christian people have a unique calling to wisdom is there is no other approach to counseling that approaches sin and suffering the way that the gospel approaches those matters. You have been given a unique wisdom. You are here listening because you interpret the internal struggles, the ways we are internally troubled, and the external behavioral problems, the way we are troublesome to other people, and the external situational problems, the troubles we face. You see them in a different light because your life has been invaded by a Christ who not only is the answer, but he teaches you to see life with a different set of questions. There's a different set of needs. Jesus is continually knitting the bonds of relationship with you, re-knitting, strengthening, deepening, refreshing as you live your life in an ongoing way. And so, you know, 2 Corinthians 1, 4, your afflictions don't stop at the point you come to Christ. Your afflictions are ongoing. You face some of your hardest, hardest enemies in the future. You will face the last enemy. You're dying and your death. And it might be extremely painful and difficult and unsettling. Your Lord walks with you through the hardest afflictions. And 
you are able then to comfort others in their afflictions as that spring of life, that those bonds of relationship are continually refreshed with Christ. And you think about Hebrews 5, and you have an ongoing struggle with sins and vulnerability and weakness. And thus you have an ongoing fountain of mercies for the sins of others, to be able to deal gently, clear-mindedly, helpfully with others. And then you think of the Beatitudes. You have an ongoing need. The world is still wrong and worth mourning and worth longing for righteousness. And you are strong in Christ to be able to go out with a merciful purpose and with no duplicity of motive and as a peacemaker and able to endure even with joy. So the Lord connects to you and you connect with others and others connect to the Lord and the circle is complete. That dynamic underlies prayer, it underlies practical helps, and it underlies counseling, wisdom. Now we've heard it live. We've heard it, we've named this pattern, this principle that has worked, that is the core dynamic. I want us to go back now for a moment to live, and I, wonder, I want us to ponder one living example of how this plays out. And it is from the Psalms. There's many different patterns. This is one of them. But what I think particularly striking as we think about the significance for, for word ministry, for counseling ministry, for speaking words that are helpful. And it's Psalm 40. I'm not going to read the entire Psalm. It's, it's a middle, mid-level length. But I want to walk it through with you. The first, notice the, notice the pattern in this Psalm, in Psalm 40. First First three verses. What he is doing, this psalm starts by telling his own story. Right? And it fits everything we've talked about. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. And he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And you see in that your need you see the Lord's intervention and love. And then you see this new song, this out of a cry of need, minor key comes the song of joy, major key. It's the, that's the dynamic that runs through all of scripture. And then it's interesting because what immediately flows from the second half of verse three, all the way through verse 10 is ministry, ministry to others. So that ministry to others actually grounds in your own personal experience. That's why any of us in this room, why are we, why do we even care about helping other people? You care about helping other people because you've been helped in some fundamental way. It, uh, why are you even thinking about ministry? It, uh, it's because you put your own story into it and those first two and a half verses tell a story that then leads to seven verses of ministry. And it's an extremely powerful, joyous, buoyant, bold picture of ministry. You know? Because there's this new song of praise in my mouth, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. It's an, there's effect. It affects other people, the living testimony that is inhabiting you. And he talks about the blessedness of the person who trusts God, who's not off into pride. It it praises God for his, how he multiplies his goodness to us. I will proclaim and tell of them who you are, what you do. But they are more than can be told. 
And then there's a, there's two, there's a couple of verses that actually get applied directly to Jesus later in the, in the New Testament. It's this picture of what God is really after is someone who's listening, someone who's, who's, who's actually paying attention, someone who says, I'm yours, I want to hear you. It's that man of submission, meekness. It's that man of his own need who looks to his God. It's that man that's responsive to the will of God. It takes to heart the promises of God. And then verses 9 and 10 is actually unprecedented in Scripture and then unrepeated in the rest of Scripture. It's unique. It's, it's six straight lines of praise and worship and ministry. I have told the glad news of deliverance. I've not restrained my lips. I've not hidden your deliverance. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. It's just this, it's this ministry that is on, that has unfolded because of all built on a story, all built on the t- testimony quality of what happened in you that God did for you, you now have something to give away to other people. And it, it's full of life. And then there's this closing, uh, the, this summary in verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not hold back your compassions from me. It's interesting, by the way, uh, that translators often put it singular, compassion or mercy, but it's plural. And there's a reason for that because compassion is an attitude. Compassions is an attitude that leads to action. And we're talking about a God who acts, a God who intervenes, a God who you're in the pit and he lifts you out. You're sinful and he forgives you. You're in need and he hears your cry. It's not just he feels good about you. He has, you know, kind thoughts towards you. He does things. He has compassions. Even there are places in the, in the Psalms, he has steadfast loves. That never gets translated in the plural, but it's plural because his steadfast love gets expressed in what he does towards us, how he treats us. It, uh, your steadfast love and your faithfulness continually protect me and watch over me. And it's this, he has told, he has not restrained, he's not hidden, he's spoken, he's not concealed. And then he just says exactly what he fundamentally believes about who God is, the sum of all his confidence. Let me ask you a question. What if the psalm stopped at verse 11? Be a lovely psalm. It's rich. It would be neat and tied up with a bow. But it doesn't stop here. It actually takes us a radical, like just whiplash U-turn. And the very next line He is back in the pit. Evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. And then he goes on to talk about the people who are seeking to snatch away my life. They delight in hurting me. They say to me, aha, aha. He's right back into the pit of his sins and his sorrows. It doesn't end with a story happened a long time ago. And then ministry comes out of it, much as that is the dynamic. But the story keeps going. You still need help. There's an ongoing dynamic that deepens you, continues to humble you, continues to make you gentle. It guards you from those fatal flaws 
that can hit us as Christians who lose this dynamic where we become superior, we become self-righteous, we become the judges of others, we become moralizers, we become be like me in the way we counsel, or just blank and all your problems will go away. There's this ongoing dynamic that actually continually humbles you, makes you sane, makes you need the very things that you would give away to others who are equally in need. It comes back fresh. And then it's in, there's an interesting little wordplay because as for you, O oh Lord, you are these wonderful things towards me. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. As for you, as for me, this abiding sense of need for his grace. And so you might say we continue to cycle back into the afflictions that 2 Corinthians 1 speaks about and the sins that Hebrews 5 talks about, the struggle with our, with our straying and our ignorance. We continue to cycle back into the neediness that is the heart of the Beatitudes. And we continue then to come out into the strength and the courage and the confidence and the ministry and the directness and the clarity and the helpfulness of ministry to other people. Notice this dynamic that by the time you get to the last two lines of Psalm 40, it get, again gathers all of us into it. It's a very personal psalm. I mean, David is telling his story and its effect on others. And then as he closes, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. So this is not just David speaking, it's, it's you and it's me. It's all of us who seek him, who love him. May those who love your salvation continually say, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. So you might say, as for you, O oh Lord, and then as for me my need. And then we could say, as for you, my brothers and sisters, as for you, you're in this. You seek the Lord. You rejoice in his salvation. You are poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for you. And as he is your help and he is your deliverer. And then you might say it goes a step further. Then as for your brothers and sisters, wherever in life that God gives you opportunity to come next to somebody else, to be part of their, their redemption, part of their restoration. As for your brothers and sisters, they need what you need, don't they? You are able to help them to find the God of mercies who has found you. And that dynamic is the, it is the distinctive operating at ground level that makes a biblical approach to counseling ministry different from every, uh, a world different from every other approach, right? Everybody can see that human life is broken, confused, messed up, distracted, diverted, disoriented, dysfunctional. Everybody can see that. But you have had your eyes opened to know what are the, how to understand what's the disorientation, what's the dysfunction in this poor, broken world, in our 
shattered, confused, ignorant, wayward hearts, and to know that there is a God who takes thought for us and invades. And we get the privilege of knowing that and then giving it freely away. Our Father, thank you. Your ways are consistent, your ways are true, and they are never, never cloned. We are all of us, each one of us, different from every other one. And yet we have had our hearts made alive. We have heard you speak heart to heart. We have heard you talk to us. You have experienced you invading our lives with strength and providing protection and forgiving us and giving us hope. And we are grateful. And we ask you that you would give to us as your people a wisdom that is humble, that is persistent, that is patient, that is courageous, that is true, that is good. We lack wisdom, our Father. We lack wisdom. We thank you that in your plan that we, we can point to, we can't fathom. You actually use hardship. You use our struggle with, we're meant to count it all joy when we meet various troubles because it's somehow through that that we actually learn more deeply to know you and need you. We learn to identify more carefully and compassionately with other people. We learn how to serve you. And would you be so merciful as to grant that, that your people, Lord, in a generation to come would be known for our wisdom, known for the fact that when we speak, we really thought about the things that people struggle with. We have a deeper answer, a deeper hope, a better direction. We have your ways before us. And we pray these things, our Father, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.